two years ago when they told me or that I had to have it, I fought that. Boy, I fought it hard. Some of you know. <laughs> but uh, I'm so thankful that that's behind me and God's blessed. And he's got all kind of ways to heal. Amen. Today we're going to go uh, to the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. I'm actually not going to read anything uh, just for the sake of time. But in, I just want you to realize before I let you be seated, in this one chapter in Leviticus 23, in chronological order are these seven feasts. Now some of you may be looking up front going, this is weird or what are they doing or what have I got into this morning? And uh, some of you, this is just our annual review. <laughs> I do this every year. Um, and we teach and talk about these feasts of the Lord. And when we say feast here, we're not talking about Thanksgiving. We're not talking about eating a lot of food. The word translated feast in your English Bible is the Hebrew word moed. And moed means appointed times. So these are God's appointed time. God has always been working off of one calendar, and that's his. Not yours, not mine, not any nations, but his. And uh, God is very orderly in what he has done and created, and God will continue to work off this calendar. And, and if, you, if you understand this and get this in you and know this, you won't get led astray by so many weird things that get prophesied and proclaimed and said and you won't get caught up into that because it would violate what God's doing and what God has set in order. God is not a haphazard God. God is not a God that does things just haphazardly and without thought and purpose and direction. You believe that? And uh, just like God has set creation, the solar system, the planets, if this earth was slightly closer to the sun, we would burn up. If it was just slightly further away, we would freeze to death. God is a God of order. Can you say amen? And so I want to talk to you about that. Turn around, wave at your family. Give them a big smile. Tell them welcome to Grace Point. God bless you. You may be seated. We're so glad that you're here today. And if you allow me today, I just want to just talk to you uh, for the sake of time. I can do it faster than, than I can flip the verses. Uh, some of you are sitting here I know that are, are new uh, since we last taught this. And the reason that I'm teaching it on this Sunday is that Friday night at sundown began the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it is uh, uh, began then and it will go through uh, this coming Sabbath or Friday night. I mean, that's the weekly Sabbath that begins at sundown. And you need to understand that God's reckoning of days is different than man's. God's days does not begin in the morning. It begins in the evening. And we see this in Genesis when God did creation, and it says the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning, and that's why the, the Sabbath, we could even say uh, the Jewish or Hebraic Sabbath, begins on Friday night. It's sundown. So when people talk about keeping the Sabbath, it's got nothing to do with Sunday, right? Sunday is not the Sabbath. But I grew up, being a boy, thought that was the Sabbath. And they would make jokes, and you can't go fishing on the Sabbath, and you can't go hunting, or you can't do this or that, or whatever. But, but I want you to understand that these feasts listed in Leviticus 23, they're listed in chronological order. 
And they begin with Passover and they end with the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm always so uh, thankful for our precious uh, Sister Barnes back there that, that did the artistic work. Would you just stand where we can recognize you and just uh, bless her? She, uh, I'm always amazed at, you know, her heart. I used to stand up here when I, 10 years ago, when I first started teaching this here, I'd have some of my elders and I'll stand here with posters with it written on there. That's how fancy I was. And uh, she took it in her heart and uh, to, to paint these. And what, what a beautiful job she's done. Uh, these feasts are not just Jewish feasts. They were given to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation, but they are referred to in Leviticus 23 as the Feast of the Lord. They are his feast. In other words, again, remembering that the word feast don't mean eat food but it means Moed or an appointed time. Uh, there's not a nation on the earth that doesn't have holidays and special days and recognitions. And they do it for various reasons, political reasons, for uh, where they uh, were liberated from other nations and, and so forth. And the church in America specifically has been deprived and has been deceived by really Satan from understanding its Jewish roots. How many knows that Jesus was a Jew? He was born as a Jew. He was born in Israel. He was born in Bethlehem. And uh, if the, the, the distance that you have from that, we miss so many things when we don't understand uh, our historic and our Jewish roots in the Bible. Now, I, I was never taught any of this growing up in church. I'd never even heard about it. Never heard one sermon on it. And I won't go into all the things that God did more than 25 years ago that led me to discover this in his word and begin to apply it in, in our life. Uh, there's one thing that's absolutely sure, you know, the calendar that we're working off of today, and it doesn't make it necessarily demonic. You don't have to go home and destroy your calendar. But we're using what's called a Gregorian calendar, named after Pope Gregory. Uh, we got it in the 15th uh, uh, century. And he got it from Julius Caesar. And our calendar that we use today and the months that we refer to and the days we refer to are really all based on pagan words. Uh, March is named after a, a Roman uh, Mars, the god of war in the Roman uh, culture. And, and you could just, June is named after the god of Jupiter. Uh, uh, July is named after Julius Caesar. August is named after Augustus Caesar. And it just goes on and on and on. And, that, and so we, we are far away from God, God's calendar, God's Hebraic uh, calendar. And even the Jewish people themselves have adjusted things and, and, and changed things from what God has in his Bible and what he has in his word. The word Easter is named after a pagan fertility god. That's what the name means. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to go on a tangent in a war trying to destroy things that you're not going to be able to destroy. You don't have to kill the Easter Bunny or either kill Santa Claus. But there's a lot of things that, that are in our culture that are not based on the Word of God. Now, God being a, a God of order and specific and days do mean something to God. And God is the one that set these, these, uh, these feast days, these appointed times. And God commanded for three of these that every Jewish male that was 20 years of age or older had to come to three of them. He had to come to the Feast of Passover. He had to come to the Feast of Weeks, which many of you know is the Feast of Pentecost. And then he had to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was mandated. Uh, this is why that when 
we can show you, and there's so much, and this is why this is so huge and so big and it's so hard for me to try to even get it in any kind of overview in one, one service. And we have kept this feast literally here for eight days for many years. And, um, and I have done this uh, at Cornerstone when I pastored there. And, 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 uh, and in fact, the, the night that we were, uh, you've heard we talked Mary Lee that just stood up that painted these. Uh, she was actually healed of cancer on one of the feast nights, the first one that I ever held here. And uh, uh, it was during the service where we did the water libation. And I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but we did that that night and and, and God's presence was just so powerful. And she was healed of, of colon cancer uh, that very night. And you heard her just a few weeks ago stand up here herself and give her testimony of how that occurred and, and what God did in her body. And God's a God that if he did it for her, he'll do it for you or your loved one. And God's a healer. And God's Jehovah Rapha. That's his name, the Lord thy God that healeth thee. And we just need to believe in that and stand on that and, and proclaim that. And so these seven feasts are God's appointed times, and it begins with Passover. Now, they've only ever been one Passover, and that occurred uh, about over 3,500 years ago in Egypt. And when God's people were in bondage to Pharaoh, and they were slaves uh, to him, and they were in that uh, place, and, and the very fact that they believed the word of God that was spoken to them through Moses and they applied the blood of the, of the lamb. And they applied it on the doorpost and the lintel above. And he said every house where God saw that blood, of that innocent animal applied, that death would pass over that house and would not enter in that house. And the firstborn of that house would not be taken. And so the people that believed in that, now listen, it had nothing to do with the person themselves how good or how evil they thought they were or, or what their economic status was. Of course, they were all slaves. But if they, if they believed the word of God and they applied that blood to their home and went inside that in home and stayed there, then when that death angel, as it was said, came through, uh, death did not visit them nor their home. Amen? So that, and so just like the blood of Jesus, uh, uh, the blood of that lamb passed over, the death passed over them, the judgment passed over them, they were delivered and set free because of the blood. Uh, same way with Jesus. In other words, there's only been one Passover, and every Passover that has been observed since then is a remembering of that initial Passover in Egypt. And in the same way, just like there's only been one Passover, there's only been one time that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. And then every Lord's Supper, a subsequent observation of that has just been a memorial of that and a, and, a, and, a, and a praising God for that one time. Jesus shed his blood once and for all and he dealt with sin. Now they were delivered from, by, from Egyptian bondage, that slavery. When Jesus shed his blood, the Passover lamb, we were delivered from the bondage of sin forever. Can you say amen to that? So these spring feasts, these three that you see on my right, your left, these depict the feast uh, that's called the spring feast. It begins with Passover. Now, one thing that's a fact, no matter what you believe or don't believe or whatever, it's a fact and nobody can argue, no matter what your religion is as far as Christianity, Catholicism or whatever, but Jesus Christ was crucified on the feast of Passover. Now, if you think that's a coincidence, then I don't get it. God was very specific when Jesus came to the earth. 
And I don't have time to get into it today, but Jesus was not born on December the 25th. That doesn't mean you have to stop honoring that day as his birth. The fact is that he came to earth, and that's what we're celebrating. But the reality of it is that God's not haphazard, and God knew when his son would come into the world. He knew everything that was involved, and God's been working off his calendar. And, and, and I can show you in the word of God, I've done that before, and I'll just say it like this, like they do in the court system. I can show you that the preponderance of the evidence points to the fact that Jesus Christ was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. He was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was circumcised on the eighth day or the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. All the events that you see in the Bible, some of the, the great things that Jesus said, some of the things that the great kings of Israel, when Solomon dedicated the temple, he did it at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, they did these things at very specific times in, in congruence with and in conjunction with these feasts. And so Jesus was crucified. Now this Passover uh, begins every year on our calendar, March or April. Uh, we're working off 365 days. They're working off for 354 days of the Hebraic calendar. Our calendar works off the sun. The Hebraic calendar or God's calendar works off the moon and uh, the full moons and so forth. Now, it's not important Do you remember all that, but all of these point to Jesus. Now, uh, on the 14th day of the Hebraic calendar in the month of Nisan, the Passover occurs. It is a one-day event, the Passover. Immediately following the Passover begins a seven-day feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In the Bible, almost all exceptions except one or two, the leaven symbolizes sin. And so Jesus Christ was the sinless, spotless lamb, him who knew no sin yet became sin for us. And so that is the seven-day feast. Now, at the first day of that feast, it is no matter when it hits on the calendar, that is considered to be a Sabbath. Now, the one thing you got to understand, and I'm going to drop, I'm going to pull some pins, throw some grenades, and I don't have time to explain it all. Now, you know, so don't puff up and get mad and think I'm a heretic because I'm going to say some things that's probably going to go against maybe what you and I were raised in. Now, there's no such thing as Jesus being crucified on Good Friday. I need my water, Brother Caleb. And, uh, and, and then rising out the tomb on, on uh, Sunday morning at, at, you know, at daylight. And, uh, and, and that's okay. The main thing to celebrate is he was crucified, buried, and he rose from the dead. So if you get that down, you got down the main thing you need, right? But the fact that they're, they're you know, the Bible says, and see, people like us, most of us, we just say, okay, well, we believe that. And I'm not saying, you, you know, don't go to Good Friday services and, but you can't have three days and three nights in the tomb from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. It just don't add up. You need 72 hours and it ain't there. And when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees to prove his Messiahship, his messianic call, Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. And so you cannot get three days and three nights from a Friday crucifixion. And the reason we mess that up is because we don't understand our Jewish roots. The reason preachers get up and preach the woman at the well as a harlot, promiscuous, sexually permissive harlot woman, 
How many's ever heard a sermon about the woman at the well being a harlot? All lies. When them preachers, when they get to heaven, she's going to be waiting on them. She's going to say, why did you preach me as a whore down there? The reason preachers do that because they don't know their Jewish roots. They don't understand the Bible. I'm not an expert. I'm still a student, and I'm still learning. And so why would I say that? Because in the Bible, in the Jewish times of that woman at the well that Jesus conversed with, a woman could not divorce a husband. didn't exist. A woman had no rights. Okay? So only the man could divorce a wife, and he could divorce her for just about any cause. He could march her to the front door, say, I divorced thee, I divorced thee, I divorced thee. That was legal. It was done. You know, hit the brick, sister. You know, that was it. Women could not divorce men. Jesus encountered this woman. She had been married five times, and Jesus said, the one you're living with now is not your own. He never called her a whore. It had nothing to do with that. Why do you think this woman was divorced five different times by Jewish men? Number one, the sister had to be fine because men wanted her. Come on. Use your brain. You've had five men say, I want her. She was, she was probably gorgeous. They wanted her. But in Jewish culture, you got to raise up your, your, your seed, your generations. It's very important. And so they would give her space and opportunity for her to conceive and have a child. She could not get pregnant. In those days, not being able to get pregnant was perceived wrongly as a curse from God. And they would look at her as she was cursed. They may have loved her deeply, but they, could, they would divorce her and turn around and marry someone that could give them a son and keep their, their seed, their line going. That, that is no doubt the story of this woman. Can you imagine as a woman being rejected by men for something you got no control over? Can you imagine anybody being rejected by someone else over something you don't have control over? For example, the color of your skin, the color of your hair, this or that. You know, and so we live in a society that rejects people just on appearance, things that they have no control over. This woman had been rejected five times, and now here's one more man talking to her at the well. There's no welfare system. There's no food stamps in her day. She either begs or becomes a promiscuous woman or a harlot or something like that. She was neither. He said that the Bible said, Jesus said to the man you're living with. Jesus did not say the man you're sleeping with. That's y'all's nasty mind got her there. Y'all the one put her in the bed with the guy. You ever live with somebody you didn't sleep with? In those days, the woman probably just needed three squares and a roof. Maybe somebody, a friend, just said, I'll let you live here. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Jesus said the man you're living with. He didn't say the man you're sleeping with. Jesus comes along as the seventh man, the man she was really looking for. And, and, but that's why, that's why, because we don't know those things. In the, in the Bible, if they got caught being an adulterous, promiscuous woman, they got hauled to the city dump and stoned to death. That's why the woman in John 8 got through it at Jesus' feet. This woman was not some woman like that. But we're so far from removed from our Jewish culture that we just we 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 just mangle up stuff and we we just we 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 try to Americanize the Bible. The Bible is a Hebraic book, and and you need to know that or you're going to really get confused. Now we got the Feast of Passover. Jesus was crucified on the Feast of Passover. That's a fact. The next day begins 
It is a, uh, a Sabbath. Now, no matter when it hits on the calendar, that's a Sabbath, okay? So the reason that we mess up and get Americans talking about, we know that Jesus was crucified the day before the Sabbath began, okay? But the book of John in your Bible says that there was another Sabbath that week. Calls it a high day. Or some translations actually say special Sabbath. Why was it a special Sabbath? Because of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day of that feast is a Sabbath, and, and uh, the next day is a Sabbath. And so the Sabbath could have hit. So Jesus, the Sabbath during that week would have been on Wednesday night at sundown. Jesus Christ was crucified on a Wednesday. So it ain't Good Friday, it's Good Wednesday. And he was crucified and before the Sabbath began on that Thursday night at sundown, the Jews had him removed from the cross because it was unlawful to do them on the Sabbath. The ladies did a very rushed job of trying to put spices and so forth on his body because they couldn't be touching or be around the dead body at sundown. And, and they'd done a, just a, a, a cursory job, preliminary job. And that's why they came back to the tomb after the Sabbath uh, on that Friday, Saturday night at, at uh it, after sundown on Saturday night, they came back to Jesus' tomb to finish the job with the spices. And when they got there, they found him gone. Saturday night, the Bible clearly says he was gone. Not Sunday morning at breakfast. No sunrise service needed. If you want to have a service, have a Saturday night service because that's when he left. He left before the beginning of the Sunday or that day. Because had he not left before then, he would have been in the grave more than 72 hours, which is more than three days, and his prophecy would not have been true. Good morning. We're glad you're here. All of that stuff matters because in the Bible, see, you don't challenge it, but there's other, there's other people groups and stuff that will challenge the authenticity of the Messiah based on our ridiculous stuff that we keep and how we get it all jumbled up. Now, the next feast is the Feast of Firstfruits. Now, the Apostle Paul was so clear, he called Jesus Christ the firstfruit of many brethren. He is, he, Paul said he has surely been raised from the dead as the firstfruit, and he said that in 1 Corinthians. And so Jesus Christ, listen to me, was crucified on Passover. He was put in the tomb on uh, unleavened, unleavened bread. There was no sin in his life. And then... The Bible actually never says what day on the calendar that the Feast of uh, first fruits was to begin. But uh, as far as a specific number, numeric day. But it says it is to begin on the first day following the Sabbath. And so when you understand that, you'll understand that Jesus Christ was resurrected on that Sabbath before, right before that Sabbath of the Feast of First Fruits. Now, First Fruits is when they're harvesting the barley, and they plant it over the winter. It's a, it's coming due in the spring, and they're harvesting that barley harvest. Uh, and so, there's a lot of symbolism in that. But Jesus was raised from the grave on on First Fruits. Amen. All right. And then once these are the spring feasts. Now, how many knows these have been fulfilled totally? Now, this is also referred to as the first advent. In other words, this is the first time that Jesus comes to earth. Not really, but in, in this way, yes. He, he comes to earth, okay? So the first advent. And the church is looking for a second advent, the second coming, right, of the Lord. Now, with Jesus 
everything that he did, his death, burial, and resurrection was in congruence with the feast. Would you agree with that? Absolutely lines up. It's not haphazard. Jesus didn't go to the cross on the 4th of July. He was crucified as the Passover lamb on Passover. He was put in the tomb, unleavened bread. And he'd come out of the tomb, first fruit. He was the first fruit of resurrection. Absolutely. All right, now Jesus comes out. He's going to walk with them how many days on earth? 40 days. Right, 40 days. All right, so what we do is we count from the, from the ending of the feast of first fruit. The Bible says in Leviticus 23, they are to count seven weeks of seven. Seven weeks, seven times seven is what? 49. So we count 49 days, and it says on the next day began the Feast of Weeks. That's why it's called the Feast of Weeks. The, the Jewish people call it the, the Feast of Shavat. Shavat's just Hebrew for weeks. Uh, and so 50 days after this feast, we have the beginning of this feast. This feast is going to occur somewhere in May-June. This is the summer feast. Now at this feast here, they're harvesting the wheat. And it's the wheat harvest, and it's a great celebration. You'll also see on here where Mary Lee depicted the Ten Commandments, and that you wonder why the Ten Commandments are, because that's in Mosaic travels out of, out of Egypt. This is when the, tab, the tablets was given to him, was on the Feast of Weeks. And uh, on that day, remember, 3,000 people died that day when the law was given. But this feast shows us the birthing of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, not to be with us, but to be in us. And that's why Jesus said, it's your advantage that I go away. And so what we have here is we have 40 days with Jesus resurrected form, walking around, showing himself to his disciples three different times and, and various people. And then he ascends from the Mount of Olives back to heaven. Remember that? And then they, he tells them to go to Jerusalem, tarry, wait until they be endued with power from on high. And then we get into Acts 2 and it says, uh, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, in one, they were in the upper room in one mind and in one accord. And so what are they doing? They are observing this feast. So in other words, these three feasts, something tremendous happened. Death, burial, resurrection. At this feast, something tremendous happened. What happened here was grace was birthed and the church was uh, birthed and the Holy Spirit began to indwell believers. Amen? Amen. That, that's what, and, 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 and there's no questioning of that. Uh, you know, great signs accompanied that feast. Now, I was raised up in Pentecostalism. Anybody know what that is? So, you know, we, we used to call ourselves Pentecost, and we didn't even know what the word meant. Uh, Pentecost means 50. So when you say I'm Pentecost, you're saying I'm 50. Right? That's what the word means. And so it's the Feast of Weeks. You, it's okay to say the Feast of Pentecost because it just means 50 days after that feast, this feast began. Now on this feast, the church was birthed. Now I was raised up like those people went to the upper room and they got in there and they fasted and prayed and begged God for the Holy Spirit to come. And they just sought the Lord and they sought the Lord and they sought the Lord. And after 10 days, God finally answered their prayer and here he comes. There's a sound of a mind. The Bible says, he didn't say after they had prayed sufficiently. It said when the day of Pentecost had fully come. There was a sound from heaven. 
a sound as of a mighty rushing wind that filled all the house where they were assembled. They could have been in there playing dominoes and the Holy Ghost would have still come. I'm serious. See, you've got to get all your sweat out of trying to get God to like you. He's got to knock it off, man. God was coming because it was on his calendar. He wasn't coming because you deserved it, because you prayed enough or fasted enough or cried enough. He's coming because that's what his day is that he's coming on the day of Pentecost. And you want to be involved in it. You want to, you want to miss it. You don't want to be at the house watching TV. Something bigger is going to happen. Right? So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit came as a sound of a mighty rushing wind. God didn't come in quietly and sneak in the back door. He came through the front door and made a lot of racket. Cloven tongues of fire appeared upon uh, their heads. They began to speak languages that they did not know and give witness to the Messiah and the power of God. Great things happened in that day. Not 3,000 died, but 3,000 souls were saved on that day when grace came. Grace makes all the difference. Now, I hope you see at least these first four feasts, God is working off of his calendar. All right, now we come to the fall feasts where we are now on our calendar. Now, this is where it gets a little touchy. Now, all of these feasts here that I've named so far, the Feast of Passover, all these feasts, uh, Pentecost, it all occurs on a full moon. So it's very easy to know that, okay, that's a full moon. And this one, these feasts, and they would blow the shofar, the ram's horn, and they would declare and announce that, that, that festival, that feast, that appointed time had come. And so we get to the Feast of Trumpets. It is the only feast of the seven that does not begin on a full moon. In fact, it begins on the new moon or no moon. In other words, there's only a sliver of the moon visible. Now, this is where some people get upset with me, but I don't care. I do care. It's not my job to confuse you, but I don't mind confusing you over your religion. I was raised on an any-minute rapture. I was raised that the Lord's going to come before we can get to the car. I was dangled over hell on a rotten stick with many sermons, told car wreck stories, God's going to get you and you better, you know, and all that stuff, threatenings and all that stuff. I remember being in church, young, young guy, you know, 12, 13 years old. I actually got born again at 12. And I started hearing all these preachers telling me God was going to come any minute, any minute. And um, I used to pray to God. I honestly did. It may sound stupid. I would say, Lord, please don't come back till I at least get, you know, my driver's license at 16. I'll let drive around a little while. I didn't want the Lord to come back. And I know you do. See, a lot of people, they, they say they want the Lord to come, but if they really knew, okay, he's going to come right now. Wait a minute now. I didn't mean like literally, I mean. And, uh, but I, I just grew up on that. Now, if I told you that I'm going to come and pick you up, so I want you to be ready any minute. That would be fun for a few minutes. But if I don't come, it's going to get kind of frustrating. And then it's just going to go and it's going to get monotonous. And before long, you're not even going to believe I'm coming back. And that's what we got going on in the church world. Now, I do not believe this. I'm saying I, Brother Dale, so it's all on me. I don't believe in any minute rapture any, any longer. 
because I've, I've seen the Bible, I've read the Bible. Now, I don't believe God's just going to come, you know, just roll the dice, I believe I'll come today. I believe God knows already when he's coming, on what day, and I believe he came the first time in congruence with the feast, and I believe he'll come the second time in congruence with the feast. Why would he do otherwise? Why would he break the pattern? Why would he break his order? Why would he observe all these first four feasts and then ignore his last three? Why? Why would he do that? He wouldn't. Feast of trumpets means just what it says. It is the blowing of the trumpet. With the sound of a trumpet, the Lord shall come. Christ himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel when the trump of God shall sound. And this trumpet is going to blow. Now this is where people falsely and ignorantly accuse me of trying to set a date. I don't know when the Lord's coming. But I know what feast he's coming on. I don't know what year. Now, the Bible, some of you right now, and I had a guy leave the church over this, but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it breaks my heart. But I'm just trying to liberate you. I'm trying to get you to see that God's a God of order. And you said, well, the Bible, Jesus said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. That's right. That's exactly what he said. He, but he did say you would know the season. See, what Satan has done in Daniel 7, the Antichrist spirit, the Bible said he seeks, that spirit of Antichrist seeks to remove times and seasons, and that's what he's done from our culture. We don't know, we don't know nothing about these feasts, but we know, we know Santa Claus. We know, we know Halloween. We know all these other, but we don't know this. And I'm not saying you've got to go to war against all that other, but you at least should know the template that God's working off of. Save you from getting confused on stuff. And, and, and that's only my, that's, that's my purpose in this. So, so the, the reason it says that, remember I told you this feast begins with just a sliver of the moon. Now this feast could not commence until two of the Sanhedrin, both of the priest, priesthood, witnessed the sliver of a new moon beginning and they, and they would blow the trumpets and declare that the new moon had been seen in the sky and that the Feast of Trumpets has officially begun. And in fact, even today in Israel, it is a two-day, 48-hour window feast. Why? Because it's very easy for the slither of the moon to be obscured in the night sky with clouds and not be visible and not be seen. That's why no man knows the day or the hour. But when the priests declare it, and they see it, they blow the trumpets. And two witnesses give witness to that the trumpets have blown. So based on the Bible and based on everything God has done up to this point, it is my heartfelt, scripturally based belief that on one of these years, at the time of the calendar at the Feast of Trumpets, lift up thine eyes, for the Lord will come. Now I live my life just taking care of business for Jesus. But every year when the Feast of Trumpet gets close, I have me about a 48-hour window. I say, Lord, is it this year? Is this the year you come? We're ready for you, Papa. We're standing ready. We're watching your calendar. Will this be the year, Papa, that you come for us? We know you're coming. These feasts testify that you're coming back for us. And I watch that 48-hour window come and go. And with not sadness, but maybe a little bit, I say, well, it wasn't this year, Papa. We'll continue on. We'll keep witnessing, preaching, proclaiming.
We move in, and, and that's the Feast of, of Trumpets. I'm not saying when the Lord comes. I'm not going to rent no billboard and say he's coming on this date and put a calendar today. I don't know when he's coming. And I've always said it's my disclaimer. If, you know, if I, 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 mean, I don't know everything. And so if, I, you know, if he comes on the 4th of July and we was out there eating watermelon and got a flag in our hand and get snatched up out of our shoes, I'm just going to look at you while we're on the way to heaven. Whoa, my bad. I thought I knew what was coming. <laughs> I'm good with that. I win either way. But there's nothing in my biblical heart that makes me believe that God is just going to come at some haphazard time. He's going to do everything like he did the first with these first four. He's going to operate in congruence with his feast. That's why you can't drag me off into some ridiculous, some of these prophecies and crazy myths. Because I already got the template. I already got God's calendar. I don't know exactly what year he's going to do what. You know, in my heart this morning when they were praising and just, you know, worshiping and it was, it was, it was really good. And I, I believe I heard in my heart, you know, that God just began to speak in my heart. He said, you know, the 1920s, in the 20s, it was known as the Roaring Twenties. And because the way this year has begun, many have lost hope in this decade and what it holds and what it will be. But this decade shall be known also as the Roaring Twenties, but the 2020s. For what shall roar out of this decade shall be Zion. The Lion of the tribe of Judah shall roar out of Zion, which is his church and his people. That's what this 20s hold you. Don't you believe that negativism and all that's doom and gloom and all that stuff this year? See, in the 1920s, that was a time where man was trying to regulate morality and enforce it with laws and prohibition and purity movements and, and chaste movements and all this kind of stuff. And all it did is create gangsters and mobs and mafias and killings because man cannot legislate right and wrong. But this is a time where grace is going to be exposed to this nation in many places. And they're going to have the grace of God. And it's not going to be legislative and laws and rules and regulations. But it's going to be the grace of God and the revelation of that grace and love that's going to cause Zion to roar out of Zion. Judah, our, our, our lion. See, because Passover begins with a lamb. But tabernacles ends with a lion, with a king. So you've got the trumpets, and one of these years, that trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't threaten one another with it. Don't threaten lost people with those words. Comfort them. The Lord's going to come back. Now, I have to be honest with you, and I, I would have to say to you that I thought he would have already have come. But that may be my being influenced so strongly because of all the preachers always screaming at me he was coming. Oh, he is coming. And these feasts represent the proof that he's coming. Because these three are yet to be filled. These four are past. They're in the books. We can learn a lot from studying those things and observing them. Some people ask me, well, why do you... Observe the tabernacles. You know, don't observe Passover. I do observe Passover every time I take communion. I observe death, burial, and resurrection every time I receive communion. I, you know, but, but what I'm saying is these are past. These have been fulfilled totally with Christ and in Christ. But these three here are yet to come. They point to the future. 
they're prophetic. So the, the, the rapture is going to happen, and as soon as the rapture happens, that's, that's trumpets. And then we have the Day of Atonement. This is a 10-day stretch of time before the Day of Atonement. And, and, and you see a, depicted on there a goat with a, with a ribbon. And this is where, where God is declaring here, the Passover, that's your individual salvation. You've applied, that blood's have been applied by your faith in him, and it, and it saved you. But this here is God dealing with the nations, and particularly the nation of Israel, but to declare to the nations that your sin has been atoned for, has been dealt with. They would bring two goats. And a lot of people don't understand this or believe this, and I'm not making this stuff up. But when Pilate brought Jesus before the Jews and said, Whom shall I release to you? Shall I release to you Jesus, Barabbas, the one you call the Christ, or shall I release to you this Barabbas, Bar, son, Bar, Barabbas, son of the exalted father is what that means. They were both named Barabbas. And there are actually translations that render that. If you believe it, it doesn't change anything. They still chose Barabbas, the rioter, the murderer, over the Christ. He said, what shall I do with this Barabbas, with this one? Crucify him. This was the very reason that Jesus came, to be crucified. What they would do while that was happening in front of the Jews... Let me tell you what the priests were doing because it was on that same day uh, that the priest on the, the, the day of atonement, not on that day, but on the day of atonement, they would bring out two goats, identical goats. This is where the term scapegoat comes from. And they would, these goats had to be identical. They had to look the same. They would bring uh, the goats out and the priest would select one of the goats to be offered as a sacrifice. Once he chose that goat, he would put a red ribbon around his neck. He would lay his hands on behalf of the people onto that goat, signifying that all of the nation's sin, the nation's sin, national sin, goes into that goat that would be sacrificed to God. And he would also lay hands symbolizing the transfer of their sin, guilt, to that other goat that would have a ribbon around his horns. That would be the scapegoat. Now, when it first began, they would take the goat out into the wilderness and turn it loose. And to the horror of the Jews, sometimes three weeks later, the goat would find his way back home and come back to Israel with that red ribbon around his neck and horrify them, and they would come up with a thing that our sins have revisited us again and that kind of deal. So they started carrying the goat scapegoat out personally to the brow of a high cliff and they would throw the goat off and it would be dashed on the rocks below and it wouldn't come back to Israel. When Jesus preached his first inaugural sermon, when he was handed the scroll, he turned to the place where it was written of him, for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me with the Holy Spirit. And he, he began to quote the scriptures and declare himself as the Messiah. They said, where does this man get off talking like this? And remember, they grabbed him, the mob, and they carried him out to the brow of the cliff, and they went to throw him off. But the Bible said he miraculously passed through the midst of them. See, 
all these things that Jesus did and the things that he said, they were in congruence with these feasts. And so we got the Day of Atonement, and then we come to the Feast of Tabernacles that began Friday night at sundown. Now, out of all the feasts, this is called the Feast of Our Joy, the Feast of Our Happiness. This is the feast that they would line the road with palm branches. And, and normally this is the first year, I guess, and, and you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know with all this COVID and stuff going on, but this is the first year that we don't have palm branches laying out before you this morning. Have we not done that every year? Um, have palm, we always have palm branches just laying around here, and during the worship we encourage you to come get one. Because let me tell you something, you need to practice that because you're going to have to do it. And when you open your Bible to the book of Revelation in the seventh chapter, you will see that when we stand before, when we're all around the throne of God, we will have every nation, kindred, and tongue, it says, with palm branches in our hands. Learn how to do it. And, and rave palm branches, and we will declare that. And so you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You remember that when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the baby donkey, Remember? What did they, what were they doing? Palm branches. They were crying Hosanna, which is a messianic, which is tabernacles. And remember that they were throwing their garments and throwing the palm branches. And they, in Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, means save us now. And see, they wanted Jesus to come in as a conquering king and kick out the Romans. But they missed the holiday. They missed the festival. They had their calendar wrong because it was not tabernacles it was Passover and Jesus was coming in seven days before the Passover and he was not coming in as a conquering king riding on a great white charger he was riding in lowly and humble and meek on a baby donkey to be sacrificed on the cross for the sin of the world and it broke Jesus' heart that his own Jewish people had forgotten the feast. See, the Bible refers to men of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and seasons and knew what Israel ought to do. See, I've heard preachers just make up what that means. What that means is those men of Issachar, they knew God's calendar. They knew what Israel ought to be doing now. And if Israel had known what they should have been doing, they should have been preparing for the sacrifice of the lamb, but they were trying to invoke and evoke tabernacles. They messed up because they didn't know God's calendar. Satan don't want you to know this. He don't want you to know God's calendar. He wants you to just think God's haphazard and does stuff willy-nilly. and Oh, God's very orderly. And that's why when his people were evoking tabernacles, you can't have tabernacles until you first had a Passover. Everything begins with Passover. And in fact, when God told Moses the instructions about starting Passover, he said, this shall be the first day of the head of the year for you. What did the Jews do? They decided to mess with God's calendars. And so if you ask the average Jewish person, when did your new year begin? They will say at the fall, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year is what that means. That's not in the Bible, y'all. That's their civil calendar. It's not in the Bible. God always said that everything begins with the cross. Your life begins with the cross, with Jesus. Your, that's what everything begins. 
That's not only when your year begins, that's when your life begins. Did y'all say amen? So you can't have tabernacles until you've had Passover. And so when Jesus saw them throwing palm branches and, and saying messianic tabernacles, feast of tabernacles things, it broke his heart. Listen, and he started to cry. Remember? You remember him crying? And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd have only known the time, the appointed time of your visitation, none of this here that's going to happen will have to happen. You didn't know. You forgot your calendar. You forgot what God has told you and given to you as a people. You're here trying to celebrate a holiday that ain't even here. You got things out of sequence and out of order. It's going to cost you. Not because Papa's going to do it to you, but because you're going to try to evoke it and you're going to threaten the Romans and you're going to start a war with them and they're going to come in here 70 years later and they're going to destroy this place to the ground. It's not what God wants. In fact, when God says, when you see yourself surrounded by enemies, flee to the mountains because I want you to live. Flee to the mountains. They didn't do that. You got the church reaching in Matthew 24 where Jesus prophesied this stuff and telling you that's a future event that is yet to happen. How we just do not know history nor the Bible. Tabernacles is such a wonderful time because they're harvesting the grapes. They're harvesting all the, the fruits, the pomegranates, and all the, the stuff that are coming in. It's a celebration. It lasts for eight days. The first day is a Sabbath. The last day or the eighth day is a Sabbath. It is an awesome celebration. When the, when the Bible said that Jesus said on that last and great day of the feast, he said, if any man thirst, let him come. In. He was saying that on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle means that Sukkot is, a, is booth. Sukkah is just one booth. A lot of times we would build a a booth right over here so you could see that the children of Israel would build these temporary shelters during tabernacles to remind them that one time as a people they lived in temporary huts in the wilderness. And many Orthodox Jewish, traditional Jewish people still do that today. They build them on their roofs or on their balconies or in their backyard and they take their meals there and some even sleep in them. It's a great observance to remember where God brought you. And you and I too, we live in a very temple, temporary tabernacle. But one day, we're gonna, God's going to tabernacle with us physically as he tabernacles with us now by the Spirit when we're born again. Amen? And, 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 and so the Feast of Tabernacles culminates with a, with a king. It began with a lamb, and it culminates with a king. This is where some would refer to the, the reign of Christ, millennial reign. And let me just say this to you. Zechariah prophesies in the book of Zechariah that the, this Feast of Tabernacles will be a perpetual feast that we will keep even in heaven. It will be kept during the messianic reign of Christ. Anybody know us in the Bible? Just say amen. These feasts were all kept by Jesus himself. These feasts were kept by the Apostle Paul after the resurrection of Jesus. When the Bible says in Colossians, don't let any man judge you in times and seasons and Sabbaths, that's what he's saying. Don't let people judge you because you keep these feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord. They, they remind us of God's, God's redemptive plan for man. 
And they remind us that God has not forsaken us. And God kept these first four in absolute congruence with everything he did in his first coming and the birthing of the church. What in your mind can make you believe he would ignore the last three and count them as dung? Uh-uh. He's coming back with the sound of a trumpet to get us. The whole nation of Israel will finally realize that he is and was who he said he was. He's the Messiah. They're still looking for one to come. But in Israel, they have had no temple for thousands of years. They have had no sacrifice for sin, no lambs offered, no priest to offer them. The church used to think that God was done with Israel. And in fact, many think that God hated Israel for crucifying his son. How ridiculous and blasphemous. And that, that, that you know, God was done with them. And the church t taught that and thought that up until 1948. And in the month of May, in 1948, the nation that had been scattered for thousands of years and had no homeland was not an organized people, did not have a flag to fly under anymore and had, had no home to call home. And they were scattered to the four corners of the world through tribulation and persecution. And they were thought that they were just done and gone and it's over. And the church preached that anti-Semitic gospel but in 1948, God reached to the four corners of the world and gathered Israel back home to Jerusalem. And they became a nation. And that star of David raised up in Jerusalem. And they've declared themselves a state. And they're just a small little piece of dirt. And every powerful heathen nation around them has tried to destroy them. But it is a bush that Moses saw burning but will not be consumed. It is what God showed the prophet Ezekiel. Son, can these bones live? When God said that, they didn't look like they could live, but they have lived and they have survived because they are a banner of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, the God that took the Gentiles and the Jews and made one out of those. The Bible says in the Feast of Tabernacles prophesy to the Gentiles and tell them that they are welcome to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. He did it with no other feast. But at Tabernacles, he said, reach out to the heathen that's in thy home. Reach out to the foreigner that's in thy midst and have them all come and celebrate at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called the Feast of Lights. It's called the Feast of Joy. And there's so many things I could tell you and we've talked about that here every year when we talk about it. But, man, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's the, uh, the default, if I can use that. It's the, it's the foundation, the template. Everything's going to be all right. Papa's going to come back home. He's going to come and get us again. He's going to fulfill these last three feasts that are just dangling out here. He's going to fulfill. He did the first four. He, didn't miss, he did them right on time. He did them exactly like needed to be done. And he's going to fulfill these last three exactly like needs to be done. And so I'm not going to let none of these weird, crazy words that people slinging out, you know, get me off of the calendar. And I want to be like the sons of Issachar. I want to understand the times and the seasons in which we are living. I don't want the media to calibrate my belief or my faith or what I say I believe or don't believe. I, I'm going to stand and trust God. Amen. 
And you know out of all these feasts, this one, Tabernacles, is called the greatest feast of all. It's the feast of all feasts. God always saves the best wine to last. The best days are not behind you, but they're in front of you. The best days for the church are not behind her, but they're in front of her. The greatest celebration is in front of us because God said, I'm going to call for the former rain and the latter rain to come together. And the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters do cover the sea. Now, if you think about that, we, we throw that phrase out and quote that, but how, how do the waters cover the sea? When did the waters ever cover the sea? When did that happen? It literally happened, the flood. That's when the waters, the deluge from the bottom and the rain from the top and the waters covered the sea. That's coming again, except this time it's not water, it's glory. It's the glory of God and the knowledge of that glory of God. And God said, just like that covered the whole earth, my glory is going to cover the whole world. And so it's a glorious church. He's coming after a glorious church. You couldn't be called glorious unless you're displaying his glory, his kingdom. A glorious church without spot, no sin. Without wrinkle, got nothing to do with age. No blemishes, no faults, no problems. God says, I see you spotless. I see you sinless. Coming after a glorious church. I'm not coming after a harem. I'm coming after a bride. I'm not coming after Baptist and Methodist and Catholic and Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God. I'm coming after my wife. I'm coming after my church. I'm coming after my bride. That's who he's coming after. Man, you, you should be encouraged with that. And these feasts are happening. They're, they're happening. I, I mean, I don't know what some of this stuff you know, all, you know, these people are talking this and talking that and all, all these things. I don't know where to get up with these weird things. But in my spirit, when I just get quiet and still, just like being called into worship today, all that God ever tell up, you know, sends to me and, 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 and telegraphs to me is, is hope. And so I just begin to pray that while I'm sitting right there much. And I said, God, let Zion roar. Let, let, let your voice be heard roaring out of Zion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. God, let the church roar again. Let her, let her voice be heard. <laughs> Amen, you believe that? Come on, give God praise as you stand to your feet. God bless you. Happy Feast of Tabernacles, everybody. I love watching some of your faces when I know you ain't never heard no preacher even talk about this and you're going like, wow, God, what's he talking about? Hey, just keep coming. And, you know, and God says in Leviticus 23, I just fulfilled the Bible in your presence today, by the way. He said, at the time of these feasts, proclaim this truth to my people. So I did it one more year, Papa. At the time of this feast, I preached and proclaimed this truth again to your people. That our God who came the first time, who was crucified on Passover, was buried on unleavened bread, who exited the tomb on first fruit, who birthed his church and gave his Holy Spirit on Pentecost, shall also come himself. He's not going to send someone else. You don't want to send somebody else to get your wife. You want to pick her up yourself, brother. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound. 
the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. All your loved ones, they're going to come out. That's why we bury everybody in all cemeteries in the United States are buried with their feet to the east. You didn't know that, did you? Ask the funeral man. They're buried that when they rise up, they're facing the eastern skies, coming to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? Come on, give him one more praise. Hallelujah. And here comes the real important part here. Do you know the Lord? Have you put your faith in him? I got no hell to dangle you over, no car wreck stories to tell you. I was a paramedic for 20 years, baby. I got some. Got none of that to threaten you with. Got one thing to offer to you. The love of God and the grace of God and the life of God that loves you more than he loved his own self. And he refused to live without you. Therefore, he came to redeem you. Everything and every act and everything that God's ever done has had redemptive purpose in it. God loves you and cares for you. All I ask you to do is just believe in him. Put your faith in him. And he will gift you his righteousness. And he has already washed away your sin. And he will give you what you need more than anything else. And that is eternal life. Not temporary. Not on loan. Not on probation. He will offer it to you without question. Because he gave it without question. God gave his only begotten son. That whoever would just believe on him. They don't have to perish, but they'll have life everlasting. And God says, I want you to be clear that it's not just life and existence, but it's abundant life. Abundance in me. That's all God knows. He's not a stingy God. He's a God of abundance. That's why when he feeds fish and chips, they have to gather up baskets because you don't know how it gets to feed just a little bit. Gives you more than you need. Amen. Father, I love you and I love your people. And I love being able to talk about this every year. So one more year we have proclaimed it. And we have declared it, Lord God, that you are coming back for us. And we look forward to the sound of that trumpet on one of these feasts of trumpets when you shall come and gather your elect from the four corners of the world. We thank you, Father, for the tabernacle celebration that will never end. For that glorious, glorious church that will celebrate with palm branches even in heaven. I pray today in Jesus' name that we remember the calendar that you have set, your feast, your appointed times, and we do it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you.